The Macro View, Episode 44. Warning, if you're triggered by the truth or get lost in a sea of logic, we just don't give a damn. This is The Macro View. You are now listening to the number one daily podcast focused on spreading the logic of liberty. In modern mainstream economics, academics and the well-read politician may refer to a concept which they call friction or frictional costs. In doing so, what they're typically referring to is the cost of living for the unemployed that is seeking a job. Examples they may cite as frictional costs include the cost of traveling around the city or town in an effort to find employment, moving from one city to another for better opportunities and or at a lower cost of living, and general living expenses that we would refer to as bills. What they often fail to be honest with themselves about is that much of these so-called frictional costs are caused by government hampering the market with rules and regulations, with wage laws, and with distortive capital guarantees and more. In the unhampered market economy, unemployment is always voluntary for the generally decent person without a long rap sheet of physical violence or property crimes. As Mises put it in his renowned treatise, Human Action, quote, a job seeker who does not want to wait will always get a job in the unhampered market economy in which there's always unused capacity of natural resources and very often also unused capacity of produced factors of production. It is only necessary for him either to reduce the amount of pay he is asking for or to alter his occupation or place of work, unquote. In the unhampered market economy, there's always employment to be found. The hampered market economy is another story, where occupational licensing, training requirements, payroll tax burdens, minimum wages, labor regulations, and anti-discrimination laws that make it easy to file suit against an employer for terminating employment, these so-called frictional costs may come into existence. There's no doubt that in the modern U.S. economy, one may have a very difficult time finding employment. They may even find themselves long-term or permanently unemployed. The effects of regulation, taxes, and other state-caused market distortions in prices can certainly increase the cost of living to a point that doing so without a continual cash flow can become extremely difficult even for short periods of time. In regards to having to move to find new opportunities, as we discussed in episode 43, The cost of transportation has been reduced to a fraction of what it once was, and yet even when you had to ride on a horse or walk from town to town, people found a way, and the world was far more dangerous back then. There's much more to discuss here on episode 44 of the Macro View, and we'll dive right into the completion of our debunking of the friction fallacy after this quick commercial break. Something tells me that a lot of my listeners like to read those thick economic treatises like Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell, Man, Economy, and State by Murray Rothbard, and Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. In total, these three books alone are well over 2,500 pages. Now, you don't want to be lugging around one of these behemoths. It's far too inconvenient. This is exactly why I love my Kindle Paperwhite. Not only is it light, convenient, and easy to use, but especially for those of us that like to go back and reread certain parts that made an impact on us or are worth the second take, it's so easy to highlight and to take notes and to keep track of where you're at. Now, if you are like me and you like to have a hard copy of your favorite volumes, there really is nothing better than the Kindle Paperwhite. You can do all of your highlighting and note-taking digitally 
and you can keep your hard copies in pristine condition to one day hand down as a legacy. Best of all, it's extremely easy on the eyes. If you spend all your day in front of the computer and you're sick of the headache that you get from reading PDFs on your monitor, there really is nothing better than the Kindle Paperwhite. Now, if you're an avid reader, go to T as in the, M as in macro, V as in view, podcast.com. That's TMVpodcast.com. And on the homepage right next to tonight's show page, you'll find a direct link to purchase your very own Kindle Paperwhite. You won't regret it. I use mine every single day, and you're sure to love it as well. Also, it's guaranteed to make you a better student of liberty. So head over to tmvpodcast.com, click on the link there on the right-hand side, and get yourself a Kindle Paperwhite. All right, everybody, we're back. So if you really think about it, one of the ways that, that you know people found a way back in the, back in the day was they homesteaded land. And often this was land, not just often, it was almost always land that the federal government was actively trying to move off of their books. That just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the federal government is grabbing as much land as they possibly can and really have been ever since, basically since Teddy Roosevelt. You do have some, or at least you had some in in recent times, at least in my lifetime, uh, homesteadable land in Alaska, but... You know, that's <laughs> that's a pretty I mean, it's a giant piece of land, but it's a uh, there's there's only certain types of people can withstand the uh, the great north that is Alaska. And, you know, in when people homesteaded land in doing so, they're at least able to provide a very basic sustenance for themselves and their families uh, through farming and through having a garden and quite often, a lot of them developed other trades. They would go and trap, uh, they would trap mink, or they would trap other other furred animals, and they'd be able to sell the furs. You know, there's all sorts of prohibitions on on doing that kind of stuff now. You need all sorts of licensing, and you know, you could really get yourself into a lot of trouble if you if you just go out and try to make your way by by hunting nowadays. But these people that homesteaded the land, they were able to then go to the market. You know, they provided value to their local market. They were able to exchange that value that they provided for the value of others. They were able to acquire the things that they needed. Now, prior to uh, recording, just to give you an example of how some of these things have changed, prior to recording the conversation that I had with Michael Pickens back on episode 42, I asked him, you know, just for my personal knowledge, what some of the wins that... uh, the movement he's building in his hometown of Bellingham, Washington, what some of the wins that he's already achieved have been. And one of them was a successful ending of prohibition on having your own chickens. I mean, chickens were illegal. It was illegal to have chickens in Bellingham, Washington before the Liberty movement was able to convince people to abandon this, this kind of ridiculous, ridiculous policy there are many cities and towns and townships where having your own garden has been made illegal. And while the organic and locally grown food movements have kind of helped to change these laws and return some sanity to humanity in, uh, in areas that have rejected such absurdity, there's always an excuse that government can come up with to prohibit people from attempting to be self-sustaining. 
Now, in many counties and cities, it's actually illegal to live off the grid. Even if well water is easily accessible and wouldn't cause any damage and sunlight, any damage to infrastructure and sunlight is plentiful and provides enough, um, enough solar energy to, uh, to run your house on solar power, you're actually not even allowed to do so. You have to plug into the grid and you have to put your solar energy back into the grid. And if you try to live off the grid in one of these places, your house can actually be condemned and taken from you. And these ridiculous rules and regulations obviously increase the difficulty of living during a period of unemployment. Now, growing up in South Florida, I remember a time as a child when everybody on the block and basically everybody that lived within, you know, that I knew and almost, I would, I would assume almost every house in South Florida had some sort of fruit tree is mostly citrus, but there are lychees, there's mangoes, there some, everybody had some sort of fruit tree in their backyards and many people had them in their front yards. The government came a knocking one day and told us because of a quote unquote canker outbreak that we would have to remove our trees. And they did this for everybody, basically everybody in the entire city. Uh, the very few people since then, some mango trees have become mango trees have become a lot more popular and people have put in lychee trees, but all the citrus was, was totally taken out by the, by the local government. No proof was presented at all. There's no proof that there was an actual canker out, outbreak. None of the adults even asked any questions. I was a kid. I didn't really think much of it at, at, at the time, but I've thought back on it a number of times in my, my adulthood. And in return for each tree removed, basically the parents at every house, the adults at every house received a $25 gift card to Walmart. The $25 gift card to Walmart was probably the equivalent of about one year's worth of produce that we harvested from a single lime or lemon or orange tree from our backyard. I mean, these were, this is South Florida and these trees, you know, we have pretty large citrus trees. They were great producers and we had a total of 10 different citrus trees lining our backyard. All of them were removed and we got $250 worth of gift cards to Walmart. And uh, obviously, you know, people that are poor and find themselves unemployed, you know, they could really use those orange trees. I don't, even if they're just setting up a little orange stand in front of their house, which in a lot of places has been made illegal as well, it would help them. And, and instead, you have all of these government impositions placed on people that dramatically increase the cost of living without employment. Now, another major imposition of frictional costs are zoning laws. In many cities around the country, it's actually illegal to run a retail or service business out of your home. Now, typically, these rules and regulations are imposed hyper-locally, and they typically come with the excuse of you know, people not wanting uh, traffic uh, on their block going to some house that's running some sort of retail shop or, or a service out of their home. But they're nonetheless absurd, and they make it all the more difficult for a poor person to try to scrape by in between jobs. When European immigrants first began coming here, and for many, many decades later, Starting their, their own small business was one of the ways for them to, one of the best ways for them to survive. And many did and many succeeded. There are businesses all over New York City and Chicago that were started by an immigrant that arrived with little to no money in their pocket. Maybe worked some odd jobs here and there. And very cheaply and easily, often out of their home or out of a first floor uh, retail space up beneath their home, 
were able to start their own business. And many of many of these businesses you'll see in Chicago and New York City, they're 70, 80 years old and are run by third and sometimes fourth generations of the same family. Good luck doing that today. I mean, between local and state and federal ordinances and licensing requirements, between OSHA regulations, between minimum wage laws, and just so much more, it's prohibitively expensive for somebody to start their own business in most industries. Now, there is still the internet, and there are plenty of opportunities to be had on the internet, but it's also highly competitive on the internet. And for the person that's in need of immediate income, many of the online options aren't really options at all. If they need immediate income, it's something that they really have to build into over time. But there, there are many, many more ways, if you could imagine that there are any more ways, there, there are. I mean, there's many more ways that government directly imposes unreasonable costs on society and the costs that most negatively impact those that are both poor and find themselves in between jobs or one or the other. Now, we're going to finish up discussing what some of them are right after we get back from this quick commercial break. So I do realize that not everyone has the time to read every book that they want to, and that's fine. But I bet those same people that don't have a lot of time to read spend a lot of time in their car commuting back and forth from work or from school. There's another phenomenal Amazon product for those of you that are thinking, yep, that's me right about now. It's Audible. Now, I'm sure some of you already know about Audible. It's the audiobook app that turns reading into listening. It's great. And while I'm an avid reader, there are far too many days on my drive from downtown Los Angeles to Santa Monica and back where I'm all caught up on my favorite podcasts and AM radio is just far too frustrating when you can't call in and read the host, the riot act for being a horrible neocon or regressive leftist. That's what audible is for. For a limited time, if you download the app on your desktop or mobile phone from our website, tmvpodcast.com, Amazon is offering new audible users two free audiobooks. Now, personally, I suggest you make good use of those two free books. Get yourself one of those backbreakers that you've been meaning to read but just haven't had the time or the will to open it up. Go to tmvpodcast.com and right there on the right-hand side, you'll find a link to this exclusive offer. Don't miss out, folks. Head over to tmvpodcast.com, click on the Audible banner, and get your two free audiobooks today. All right, we're back. So, so far up to, uh, up to this point, we've really been discussing frictional costs, but there are also non-financial frictions that mainstream academic economists like to cite as market failures and reasons for intervention that are no less fallacious than the frictional costs. Now, among them is time and schedule difficulties. Often this is cited as both a friction in finding a job while unemployed and a friction and as a market friction in, in trying to find a new job that pays better when already employed. And frankly, this is just such baloney. I mean, it's, it's hard to reconcile the thoughts of mainstream economists with reality sometimes. I mean, seriously, I mean, this is just called bad time management or laziness. If your excuse for not finding a new job or not being able to find a job when unemployed is scheduling conflicts or a lack of time, then you just simply don't want a new job or a job or you don't want a new job enough 
to take the time and the care to actually go out and apply. I mean, really? You know, such is life. It takes time to do things. Learn to manage your time better. Nobody said life is supposed to be a leisurely walk in the park or a day at the beach. It's just utter, utter horse crap. Now, other times academic economists will cite, quote unquote, changing market conditions as friction, as a friction imposed on employees that have been laid off. Now, only an academic that spent far too much time with their head buried in textbooks and scholarly writings can actually think this way. I mean, market conditions are always changing. And managers and executives wait until it's absolutely necessary before laying people off. An absent government intervention to disturb the natural market correction mechanism that is an economic downturn, these people that are laid off as a result of poor economic conditions would easily be able to find employment. And while it may be at a lower wage, all else being equal, if markets are allowed to correct, prices will be lower as well. So the real wage might even be higher. And in fact, prices fall first. Your prices falling is typically the catalyst for layoffs. These layoffs signify that the human resources that are now being let go were being misallocated. The entrepreneurs that hired them when prices were higher misjudged their most valued use to society. If prices fall and wages need to fall as well, so long as they're allowed to, everybody will be able to find employment and they'll be able to do so fast enough that no crisis would ensue. Now, before we wrap this episode up, there are a few more frictional costs that need to be discussed one that is quite obviously a government-imposed one. And that is the virtual elimination of border housing due to zoning ordinances. Now, don't get me wrong. Surely there are places that still exist where people can live four to a room and they can do so affordably. Even in dire circumstances, they'll be able to get by. But try doing this in a major city nowadays. While every locality is a little bit different, almost all cities have restrictions on the number of occupants that can occupy a single dwelling. Also, as a result, as a result, excuse me, there as a result of zoning, um, most cities have uh, have size requirements for homes, and and what have, you know, small or what have become known as tiny homes, really small dwellings are often illegal. These zoning ordinances ordinances in almost every major city requires that a home meets a certain square footage requirement uh, in order to be in order to be allowed be allowed to be built or in order to be allowed to be occupied and as a result housing is much less affordable than it otherwise would be and because of the government's imposition poor people and people that find themselves out of work have a much tougher time making rent payments and further they have a really tough time saving in case they find themselves out of work one day now, the last and one of the more ridiculous claims made by those that use the friction argument is that in the event of somebody working in an industry that is becoming obsolete or being rapidly offshored, retraining can be very expensive. I mean, the only reason why training is so damn expensive is A, there's a minimum wage of which is far too high to pay somebody that's simply training, or at least far too high to pay somebody that's simply training for most jobs, and B, because the government has totally distorted the education and training market. Between government-guaranteed student loans and government-funded higher education institutions being required to offer coursework for which jobs that require such training are not in high enough demand to be feasibly offered by a market institution, 
the cost of formal edu- formal training and education is extremely expensive, and that's because of government. And all of these fallacious claims are claims that would not exist if not for government's existing interventions in the market. Yet these are claims that have led up to unemployment benefits and more broadly the welfare state. Now, I will be doing an episode coming up soon on the welfare state more broadly. Tonight, I don't really have enough time to get into it enough and uh, in enough detail to really make a valuable case as to why welfare shouldn't exist at all. But regarding unemployment benefits, much like Social Security, while called insurance, quote-unquote, there's nothing about them that acts as insurance. The money paid into unemployment goes into general funds as a tax, which is the only constitutional way that it can be levied, and is spent along with all other tax revenues heisted from Americans' paychecks. And above and beyond what is actually levied, is often spent as well, given that the federal government runs massive budget deficits. Now, a real and market-driven unemployment insurance program could exist, and it'd probably be wise to buy and would be in demand. It'd be a good industry. And it'd be be wise to buy, especially if you work in an industry that's prone to layoffs during economic downturns or if you have a job that you feel is not very secure in the long term. So there's definitely a legitimate uh, reason to have a market for unemployment insurance. The government just shouldn't be running it. It probably wouldn't cost that much. And there would also be a legitimate economic incentive for the unemployment insurance company to help you find some job at some wage and possibly even to provide some of the cost, if not all of the cost of retraining and getting you back into a a job that is not obsolete and where you can earn a healthy living and be able to continue to pay into the unemployment insurance company in case it were to happen again. Now, there may be in such a, a landscape, there may be a variety of models and the premiums for different models may vary quite greatly, but there's absolutely no reason why the government should be offering unemployment benefits. In the hands of the government, unemployment benefits have been a tremendous disincentive to seek employment. And at every chance, especially near election years, the benefits have their expiration periods extended. And just look back at the 2008 crisis. Unemployment benefits were extended multiple times. When they finally stopped being extended, unemployment rates dropped significantly. And more importantly, employment rates went up because unemployment can be a very flawed statistic to look at given that it measures people that are on unemployment. But actual employment rates, the number of people that actually obtained employment went up. Now, admittedly, some of the new employment was underemployment or was at a lower wage, but such is life. And even then, the massive number of people that find themselves underemployed currently can almost directly be attributed to the 29-hour work week, an absolutely ridiculous hours quota that has been so infamously criticized under the Obamacare era, which is an era that is likely to end here pretty soon and hopefully does. So I do want to leave everybody with this final quote from Mises' Human Action. Quote, catalactic or voluntary, unemployment must not be confused with institutional unemployment. Institutional unemployment is not the outcome of the decisions of the individual job seekers. It is the effect of interference with the market phenomena intent upon enforcing by coercion and compulsion wage rates higher than those the unhampered market would have determined. The treatment of institutional unemployment belongs to the analysis 
of the problems of interventionism. Well, everyone, that's it for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show. Now, don't forget, if you're not already listening to tonight's show from the show page, go and visit the show page. Listen to tonight's show from the show page or at least check it out if, you, if you've already gotten all the way through it. You're watching it on YouTube or SoundCloud or Google Play or iTunes or wherever else you happen to be listening to it. We distribute on Podbean. Um, there's, you know, on, on uh, Liberated Syndication. There's tons of different outlets where you could possibly be listening to this from. Now, if you are listening to it from tonight's show page, stay there. If you're not, go and check it out because we, I always post resources. Um, I'm going to post an article from Mises.org that actually is an excerpt from chapter 20 of Human Action. And also while you're on the show page, you can check out uh, tonight's sponsors. You know, right there on the right-hand side, you'll have links to where you can go and get yourself a Kindle Paperwhite or you can download Audible or both. And when you download Audible, you'll, you'll get those two free eBooks. Now, while you're on the show page, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find links to both down at the bottom of the show page. Um, you'll, you'll be able to find it really easily. And then you can, you can like our page on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our email list. That way you're notified when new episodes of the, Ma- of the Macro View drop. And most importantly, most importantly, do not forget to share the Macro View with your friends and your family and your social networks and wherever else you possibly can and wherever else it's appropriate so that you can help me to spread the logic of liberty. That's all for tonight, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care.